ವಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನಂ So in this class we study the Bhagavad Gita and uh, as usual we'll be doing the verses you can chant after me if you are comfortable and uh, you can also ask questions but uh, towards the end just raise your hand and I'll ask you to speak All right we are on the ninth chapter and i think uh, we had done the 17th verse last time 18th we had started we are not started so 18th verse verse number 18 chapter 9 gatir bharta prabhu sakshi gatir bharta prabhu sakshi nivasa sharanam surit ನಿವಾಸರಣ ಸುರೇತ್ ಪ್ರಭವ ಪ್ರಲಯಸ್ಥಾನ ಪ್ರಭವ ಪ್ರಲಯಸ್ಥಾನ ನಿಧಾನ ಬೀಜಮ್ಯಯ ನಿಧಾನ ಬೀಜಮ್ಯಯ ಸೊ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಹಿಯರ್ ಇಸ್ ಸೇಯಿಂಗ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ದ ಗೋಲ್ ದ ಸಸ್ಟೈನರ್ ದ ಲೋಡ್ ದ ವಿಟ್ನೆಸ್ ದ ಬೋರ್ಡ್ ದ ರಿಫ್ಯೂಜ್ ದ ಫ್ರೆಂಡ್ ದ ಸೋರ್ಸ್ ದ ಡಿಸ್ಟ್ರಾಯರ್ the support the repository and the eternal seed krishna speaking as an avatar an incarnation speaking as god an avatar has so in the virtual world you can have your own avatar so that avatar speaks for you it is uh, what it does it's uh, y- you are liable for it mm. so krishna here he says ಗತಿರ್ ಭರ್ತ ಪ್ರಭು ಸಾಕ್ಷಿ ನಾ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಟೇಕ್ ದಮ್ ಲಿಟ್ರಲಿ ಆಸ್ ದೇ ಆರ್ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಟೆಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ಈಸ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ದಟ್ ಗಾಡ್ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಸೇ ಐ ಆಮ್ ದ ಗೋಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಎವ್ರಿಥಿಂಗ್ ಐ ನರಿಷ್ ಎವ್ರಿಥಿಂಗ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ದ ಸಸ್ಟೈನರ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ದ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಪ್ರಭು ಐ ಆಮ್ ದ ವಿಟ್ನೆಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಎವ್ರಿಥಿಂಗ್ ಬಟ್ ದಿ ಕಮೆಂಟೇಟರ್ಸ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ದ ವನ್ ವಿಚ್ ಐ ಆಮ್ ಯೂಸಿಂಗ್ ಫಾರ್ ಎಕ್ಸಾಂಪಲ್ ಶ್ರೀಧರ್ ಸ್ವಾಮೀಸ್ ಕಮೆಂಟ್ರಿ ರಿಟನ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಸಿಕ್ಸ್ ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ ಇಯರ್ಸ್ ಅಗೋ ಸಮ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಟ್ರೆಡಿಷನಲ್ ಕಮೆಂಟ್ರೀಸ್ they interpret this line in terms of karma the law of karma so gati the uh, in sanskrit it means the end so directly it might mean god is the end of all things and the, our ultimate goal is god realization everything ends up in god but no the commentator says here gati means destiny what happens to us in life what happens to us in life and what what determines that our karma we do we do it's not fatalistic but our karma is what we have forces we have set in motion in ancient lives prachina karma uh, forces that we have set in motion in past lives and that becomes our destiny not fatalistic because uh, uh, if uh, what we do now how we react to life now that builds our future life also but gati here means is um, the trans for example in this commentary shridhar swami says gamyate iti gati phalam result karma phalam bharta i am that krishna says god says i am that which sustains this law of causality karma 
good good bad bad none escape the law dharma leads to punya punya leads to sukha in english um good action moral action consciously deliberately done good action leads to merit and merit results in happiness a pleasant life a good life adharma consciously deliberately done evil action leads to papa demerit and papa results in dukkha in this this is the law of karma this is the doctrine of karma all schools of hinduism all schools of buddhism jainism and sikhism all the indian uh, the, uh, the traditions arising from india they accept it even the abrahamic traditions as you sow so shall you reap basically it's the same idea they just constructed differently once when i was teaching monastic novices in in the main monastery in india a young monk i still remember brahmachari asked me where did this come from this law of karma at first i misunderstood i thought he was asking for textual references so i said uh, you find it in the gita then you find it in um, the upanishads and you find it in a proto form in the vedas in the in the karma kanda before the upanishads the whole of the karma kanda is basically karma you do something you get something actions have consequences then he said no 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 i'm not asking that where does this idea come from this concept one thing leading to another and i thought this is nothing more than causality it's something that all human beings instinctively understand i do this that happens i set this cause in motion that effect happens now you extend it and you will have the uh, law of karma why do i say extend it no why is it not uh, um a scientific law for example it isn't because when you say um dharma leads to sukha dharma leads to punya leads to sukha in between that punya factor is invisible it's not see doing deliberately doing good action we all see that and getting pleasant results we all see that but the link is not seen that you have to accept on faith that's why it's part of theology a part of religion not not a scientific law somebody said look these are not scientific laws in the sense that you know scientific laws you cannot break you can't break the law of gravitation you try to break it you're going to break yourself but this is true of these moral laws also somebody put it very beautifully you cannot break moral laws you can only break yourself against them try as hard as you might i'm going to be i can be perfectly unethical i can lie cheat as long as it is to my advantage it won't be to your advantage very very soon we find out our life becomes miserable a mess that's the lesson we learn though the wise learn it very quickly and uh, the otherwise <laughs> they take a long time to learn and they suffer they suffer so this is the law of karma it is nothing other than causality which is all of us accept it nobody asks why um why itself is causation and why when we ask why it's natural to any kind of rational thought 
Science is based on causality. Common sense is causality. Our uh, laws, legal systems are based on causality. You do this, this is the punishment for it. So all of it is based on causality. One natural consequence of this idea of causality is the law of karma. It is common to all these philosophical schools uh, in India. One monk put it this way, in Hindi he said, This is a very profound doctrine. Hindus don't, be, uh, Buddhists don't believe in God. They don't believe in an immortal soul. Hindus believe in God, Hindus believe in an immortal soul, Atma. And yet both Buddhists and Hindus believe in karma. And this whole thing about the Punar Janma, life after life, cycle of birth and death, you can see it's simply an extension of the law of karma. If causality at all holds, then what we are seeing in this life are the effects. If there are effects, start straight from birth, there are effects. Pleasure and pain. There are, babies are born into very different circumstances. And variety of life they have. What has the baby done to deserve it? So the baby must have existed before it was a baby in this life. And we do so many things in this life whose effects we don't see. So if you don't accept earlier lives and future lives, earlier lives and future lives, just earlier existence and future existence. If you don't accept that, then there's a logical fault in the law of karma. In Sanskrit it is called Akritabhyupagama Kritanasha. The uh, arising of something that has not been caused. This life. If there's nothing, no existence before this, suddenly it's come. Where? From where? And Kritanasha, the destruction of the cause without giving rise to the effect. If there are no lives after this, I don't exist after this, then I've done a lot of things in this life, I won't get any result of it. If I've done lots of good, I want to exist. So that I'll get the result of, uh, of the good things. If I've done lots of mischief, I'd rather not exist. I want the law to be false. <laughs> so, but then the, what is done disappears. So it's a logical fault. Therefore, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in Atma or not, Buddhists don't believe in uh, Atma the way Hindu, Hindus believe it. Uh, but they all believe in uh, karma and multiple lifetimes. Jains. Buddhists, Jains, Hindus, all schools. So he says, I am that which sustains. The causality exists because of me. In Vedantic terms, it becomes clear. What is causality a part of? Time, space, causation is Maya. Maya is the power of God. So causality is the power of God. We say that, why do you say God is doing these things? We can see clearly there are clear explanations. Explanation, what's an explanation? Cause and effect. And here Krishna is saying, uh, cause and effect exist because of me. Bharta, I sustain it. So are you bound by it? Is God bound by the laws of God? No. Prabhu, I am the Lord. So the law of karma also operates uh, at my sweet will. Which means, it gives rise to the possibility that Little exceptions once in a while might be made if you catch hold of the big boss. Yeah. <laughs> so, Prabhu, I am the Lord. Sakshi, he says, I am the witness. 
here in this particular commentator says shubha ashubha drashta the seer the illuminer of whatever happens in our lives pleasant or unpleasant good tragic traumatic there is one who is watching there is one who knows the one who knows the one who knows deeply as we know it even more deeply than us there is one who knows our life the one who is a witness to our life shubha ashubha drashta it can be ominous also there is that i have uh, referred to that poet who talks about the christian concept of a judgment day at the end of creation when uh, uh, the poet says i am paraphrasing that you may be as clever as you want you can fool everybody you can fool yourself but what will you do on that day when you are face to face with the one capital o one with the one who knows how to ask questions so shubha shubha drashta the seer of all that is good and bad is a witness because in what sense is god like a peeping tom or something watching through the windows no consciousness is is aware of everything as in in and through all of us shubha shubha drashta nivasah you know in the tra- direct translation would be god is that in which the entire universe dwells but here he means uh, that commentator says it's also related to the law of karma it is he says bhoga uh, bhogasthanam nivasah he says so the effects of the law of karma to experience that we need bodies we need worlds so this is all created by god in fact god alone appears as all of this as this universe as these bodies also so we can experience the results of our karma sounds pretty merciless we are trapped and we have loads of bad karma and now here is this big boss who's got us in this game and we can't escape no next word sharanam the refuge this lord is the refuge and beautiful translation by the, the the meaning is given by shridhar swami rakshakah the protector protector from whom actually protector from the effects of our own bad karma if it get, gets too much god can do it otherwise or god can give us the strength to bear it is never too much for us god will give us the strength to bear if you hold on to god we must hold on um you know when the wheel is rotating it crushes everything underneath it but if you go and near the axle and hold on to the the hub uh, you are safe you won't be crushed by the wheel similarly um there's another parable of the fisherman who was fishing and in a shallow pond it's only the little fish which was swimming around the feet of the fisherman which escaped his notice everything else was pulled in by the net so the fish which go to the feet of the lord we hold on to that will be saved from the worst effects of our own karma not that god is punishing anybody or doing bad to anybody it's our own karma but if it's too much for us to bear rakshakah the protector sharanam there is a refuge from the inexorable um, grinding of the wheel of karma also another beautiful word surit 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 means rit means heart 
And surit means well-wisher. Well-wisher is a very bland term. But surit literally means the one who is after your own heart, you know. The one who is always on your side. God is always in your gang. <laughs> God is on your side, always. Unconditionally so. It's just that we don't see it. That's why we don't take the help of God. But always, there's only one. There's only one, Krishna says. There's only one who is always on your side. And that's God. Who always feels with the way you feel, which nobody else can ever understand. Our deepest sorrows, joys, desires, and God is God feels very deeply for us. So Surit, our well-wisher, in this inexorable law of karma, protector and well-wisher, we, we would do well to remember this. There is somebody on our side and the most powerful one on our side. It doesn't feel like it. I saw on this nice poster, sometimes very uh, rather sentimental stuff is written, but nice, touching. It says, uh, God is somebody who always walks, I always walk with you. But then I cried out, when in my deepest sorrows, you know, God says that you see, when you are walking, uh, you see another set of footprints by your side of your footprints. I'm always walking with you. But in my deepest sorrows, you were not there. There's only one set of footprints. So he says, yes, in your deepest sorrows, I was carrying you. So that I saw poster, uh, very sweet, little too sentimental for my taste, but <laughs> still sweet. But this I have seen in uh, Avatar, I don't know directly, but deeply spiritual people. Some of the senior monks I have seen, one thing you know is that they are on your side. They are really, truly our well-wishers. They love, love you, not in a sentimental way, but uh, in a truly helpful way. They are there for you. And you need not be afraid of them. That's another thing. I, I remember once I went in, now both of these monks have passed, so I can talk about it. I was a novice in the main monastery, a newcomer. And I used to go to this wonderful Swami, Swami Moksha Dhanandaji. He was, in my um, humble opinion, one of the few I have seen whom I can say is an enlightened being. So he was there. Wonderful, wonderful Swami. And I'm not alone in that opinion. Many monks of our generation knew him. This, this knew him as this old, wonderful old Swami. And I would go to him often, ask a question, or just spend some time. He was elderly and ailing at that time. Now there was another Swami, uh, brilliant, eccentric, very sharp, intellectually, and also tongue. <laughs> he didn't mean to be sh cutting, but he was abrupt. He was talented in a multiple, multiple, you know, many, many ways. Language, music, all of that. One day, there were these two swamis. He, this swami was very close to Mokshadanji. In fact, Swami Mokshadanji has only one book to his credit. He was one of the greatest scholars of our order, but he never wrote books. And there's only one book, Jivan Mukti Viveka, of Vidyaranya Swami, translated into English, uh, published by Advait Ashram. And that's written, that's, that, was, that translation and commentary was done by Swami Mokshadanandaji. And that was done because this other Swami, whom I'm talking about, um, nagged him for 20 years. The book took 20 years to write. So this other Swami would often be with so one day I went in and I bowed down to both of them, they were seniors. And then um, suddenly 
Swami Mokshadanji said uh, to me, they were talking about something. I didn't know what they were talking about. He looked down at me and said, you, when you look at me, what do you think? I say that, I didn't know why I said it. There's no context. I said, I think you can see my th- thoughts, but I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> and then and he looked at him. And him, what do you think? And like somebody hypnotized, they looked around and I, like a parrot, I said, I don't know, I still don't know, I, I would never say such things. I said, I think he too can see my thoughts, but I'm afraid of him. <laughs> I said that, and Mokshadanji looked at that Swami and said, See, what did I tell you? <laughs> and that Swami looked grim and looked down, you know. Like, mm. So maybe he was making a point to that Swami. That's what I thought. I never followed up. I never inquired why. But here is somebody who is on your side always. Your well-wisher. Vivekananda writes to somebody, um, a disciple who had left him, you know, and gone out on uh, his own. Vivekananda says, once you have taken refuge in me, I shall not abandon you. No matter whether you abandon me and you go away. You may go away from me. You may go away from Vedanta. I shall always be by your side. Indeed, if you go down, he says, if my disciple goes down to the depths of hell, I shall descend there and pull. <laughs> I, say, I will pull you out by the tuft of your hair. Mm. I shall never abandon you. I've seen this many, many times. So Surit, his, the Lord is your well-wisher. He feels deeply. Ma Sarada, so she was, uh, this is sometime after Sri Ramakrishna passed away, she was in this little village in rural Bengal. And um, in a neighborhood, there was this other woman whose husband had passed some time ago. She had no relatives. And she had just one grown son who died for some reason, suddenly. Now, this was a terrible shock to the poor woman. Nobody in the, in the world. And especially in those days, remember, um, women were helpless without a male relative. Especially in rural areas. What could you do? So she came to Masarada and she was talking about her sorrows. Like many people came. And that was quite a big household. There were people who were relatives of Masarada. They were devotees. They were disciples. Uh, in that household. Now from inside the household, they were startled to hear the mother. She burst out in a wail of crying, wailing. They, They ran out to see what was happening. And the mother was weeping, wailing as if it was her own son who had died. That woman was narrating her sorrow. Now instead of giving her philosophy and telling her about the Atman and Karma and or teaching her techniques of meditation, the mother wept as if her heart would burst loudly. And because of that, the effect was interesting. The woman calmed down. The reason is somebody felt her sorrow. uh, She was not alone in the world. Somebody felt her sorrow as deeply, as genuinely as she felt it. And then she said, go and take a bath, gave her some oil for her head, come and she came back and she fed fed her, sent her back home and said, and gave her things too for her household food and other stuff and told her to keep coming. Surit, somebody, you can count on this person. Mm, I think it was Swami Brahmananda probably. 
his birthday was a couple of days ago we'll speak about him day after tomorrow either swami brahmananda or swami shankarananda but i think it's swami brahmananda there was a young monk a brahmachari who did did something serious off- offense against monastic life and he was about to be thrown out of the order expelled so as the president of the order swami brahmananda he finally signs off on these things they brought it to him he said can you uh, can you do one thing for me so yes anything swami he's the head of the entire monastic order he said on the other bank of the ganga this on this bank is the main monastery belurmat on the other bank of the ganga can you build a little little uh, hut for me they asked why a hut for you the president of the order <laughs> why he said see this boy he has nobody in the world you have monasteries and ashrams and this big organization you stay he has nobody in the world except me i and he we will go together and stay in that little hut if you expel him so they were immediately say no 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 swami that's fine that's fine we don't have to expel him the president of the order is saying i will go away from the order <laughs> i'll stay with him this uh, good for nothing uh, guy so he's always on the side so surit i i i myself seen this there was one very difficult young monk we are all young monks uh, in that order i mean in that ashram and everybody was including me we are all critical of that troublemaker he was really a troublemaker he made life difficult for everybody everybody was critical of him except the head of the monastery and so one day i and others we went to that head i can tell you the name so i'm so he turned to he was he's now the vice president of the order we went to him i still remember i we asked him you see don't you that he is really doing these things this is creating trouble it's clear why won't you support us like why won't you acknowledge what's going wrong and then he said oh i know all that and we were like but <laughs> if see i am the last word here in this ashram if i to go against him whom does he have left here so surit you put up with it you all put up with it but so surit who is your wellbisher more than all of these is is god himself herself itself whatever then he goes on prabhava pralaya sthanam prabhava god is the uh, source of this universe so that's why the first line refers to the law of karma the second line refers to god as the creator so prabhava the entire universe arises from god with vedantic sense brahman the power of maya entire universe arises in brahman pralaya pralaya means the place of dissolution where does an effect go um, go to back to the cause in philosophical language what is creation emergence of the effect from the cause the pot from clay and what is destruction dissolution of the pot back into clay so where does the pot go when it's destroyed back to clay it was always clay what was it in between is our our mind trick us in between it was a pot no it was still clay <laughs> it was always clay um anyway so he says i am the uh, source the, the origin of all things i am that to which all things return 
Sthanam here means and that in which all things exist. Nidhanam bijam avyayam. Um, when everything is destroyed, are we gone? Us as individual sentient beings, because the stars and planets are gone. At the, at the end of the cosmic cycle, when the universe merges back into Ishwara, into Saguna Brahman, into Maya, then what about us? Are we gone? No, we are not gone. Just as in deep sleep, we do not disappear. We seem to disappear. The world disappears before us. Our own bodies disappear for, for us. And uh, minds also, no, no activity. But are we gone? No. Next moment we are back there. You are, you are exactly the, what you were earlier. So it's all in a seed form in deep sleep. Similarly, when God goes into deep sleep, quote unquote, the universe ends. However, we are not gone. All sentient beings and our karma, the bank records, and nothing is wiped out. It all exists as a, in a seed form. So that repository is called Nidhanam. And those seeds are not perishable. Like the seeds, uh, you know, the seeds of plants. Bija Mabhyayam is the imperishable seed from which germinates again the, when the next universe comes. We are all, we pop back into existence. Like, in the, I think last class or something, we talked about the cosmic hide and seek. One monk told us, in fact, Ramananda Saraswati told us that uh, we are playing, eternally playing hide and seek with God. Right now, God is hidden and we are all seeking God. Not all, a few of us. You're seeking God. Where is God? Where is God? And at the end of the universe, when the entire universe disappears, um, God alone is left. And we all merge back into Maya. Like this, uh, with, and it's in a seed form we are. No bodies, no personalities, no minds, nothing. But it's all there in a potential form. Now God is searching for us. Where did those guys go? Where, where are those fellows? And then he finds us there in Maya and brings us out and pops us, creates the universe and pops us back into the universe and he hides himself. So that's the cosmic hide and seek. I can't resist this, being a science fiction fan. Uh, Isaac Asimov, he had a classic story about this. Um, long time ago, I remember I read it. Um, it went something like this, short story. So... Oh, this is also relevant in you know with this modern AI, chat GPT, and all that. So it's a computer. But just remember, remember Asimov wrote this in the 1950s, probably or 60s. Only this big, huge mainframes were there with punch cards and stuff like that. So he said this big computer had been designed, which can answer all your questions. Um, I mean, we literally, more or less, have it. And chat GPT says. Up to 2021, whatever has been, <laughs> and it makes a disclaimer. What's happened after that, I don't know much about it. But before that, ask me anything. Uh, so they, uh, the computer's been designed, these engineers attending to it. And then uh, one of the engineers thinks, let's ask it this question. You know, in physics, they say entropy is running down. The entire universe is running down and will go towards a heat death. That means the universe will run down eventually. There will be nothing left. So can entropy be reversed? So this is the question. And they ask the computer. And the computer spits out a punch card and it whirs around and uh, uh, heats up a little bit and smokes and then says, uh, spits out a punch card and it says, not enough data. <laughs> then years pass, now the computers are much smaller. And how prophetic Asimov was. And he says they were on our tables, desktops. He predicted it years before desktops were a reality. And there is... Uh, somebody who asked the same question, a scientist, 
and the computer says on the screen, he even thought there will be screens, that it says that uh, uh, not enough data. Then he goes a few hundred years later, a spacecraft is going from one star system to another. There's a little kid doing his homework in that spacecraft. And then he learns about entropy. And he asks the computer, which is like a, all a, a distributed across the spacecraft, um, can entropy be reversed? And the computer says, not enough data. I'm not lending the story. It's, it is actually a short story, but <laughs> I'm trying to make it as short as possible. So as Asimov builds it up, then centuries pass and millennia pass and humanity is spread across the galaxies. So there is a universal civilization and the computer is now one unified computer across the universe. It's distributed across the universe. So some scientist somewhere on some planet uh, asks this question and the computer says, like a voice in the sky, you know, not enough data. And then finally, billions of years have passed. The universe is dying. The stars are running down and the civilizations have failed. Um, all of humanity, whatever they are at that time, they have uploaded themselves into a cloud. And even that requires energy, so that's also shutting down. The last of the human consciousness, no human bodies left, just the human consciousness, ask this question to the computer consciousness, which is across the universe. Ask this question. Now it's a desperate question of life and death. Can entropy be reversed? And the computer asks, ans answers immediately, not enough data. Then the universe dies. Everything is gone. Heat death of the universe. But the computer alone is there, still pondering the one question it could not answer its creators. It's still thinking about it. Then it gets the idea, gets the answer. But there's nobody to give an answer to. The universe is gone. It's all dark and nothing is there. Stars have run out and all living beings have gone. So the computer thinks, what do I do now? I have the answer finally. The last question which was asked to me and there's everything else I've solved. So the computer says, let there be light. And there was light. So <laughs> <laughs> the story of creation, you know, the creation of the universe. <laughs> A lot like that in the Hindu conception, God creates this universe in cycles. And he says, Bijam Abhyayam, we are still there. And we will continue to be there until you attain enlightenment. Then only you are free of your individual existence. You can't be free at the end of the universe because another universe will begin. And then you will be sent out uh, to play. Then the next verse. Tapamyaham aham varsham Tapamyaham aham varsham Nigrinham yutsrijamicha Nigrinhami Utsri Jamicha Amritam Chaiva Mrityuncha Amritam Chaiva Mrityuscha Sadasadjaham Arjuna Sadasadjaham Arjuna I give heat, I restrain and let loose the rain. I am immortality, I am death, I am manifest and unmanifest also, O Arjuna. So why suddenly rain? Remember, um, an ancient agrarian society, monsoons were very, very important in India. Everything dependent on that. I think Will Durant begins his history of India with these words, um, that why were Indians so philosophical? Mm -hmm. He says, when the monsoons fail, India starves and dreams of nirvana. <laughs> yeah. 
So rain is very important. Here Krishna says, God says that, I am that which gives rain and withholds rain too sometimes. What is that? And the commentator says, the sun. Commentator here says, Adityatmana. So, um, you know, sun creates evaporation and causes the clouds to form and then there's rainfall. It's the energy of the sunlight coming to the atmosphere of the earth. And that, that's what generates the, the water cycle and all of that, you know. We all learned it in geography as kids. What is interesting here is, the commentators were pretty clear. It's not that God is somewhere there giving rain and stopping rain. Uh, it's God in the form of this universe and acknowledges the sun and natural laws and evaporation and the water cycle, all of that. But sees a divinity behind it, an intelligence behind all of that. So I am that, that which gives rain and I withhold it. Amritam chaiva mrityushcha. I am Amritam here, it literally translates as immortality, but that's not what it means. The commentator says, I am life. The rain, you can see the connection. Rain, and then crops, and then food, and then life. I am life too, I am prana. In all these living beings, this mystery of life, I am that life. I am, I am behind life. But what about death? If God is life, then why should there be death? He says, I am death too. <laughs> so he says, Mrityushcha, I am death too. Literally, if you translate, um, existence and non-existence. But what it means is, the commentator says, Sad and Asad in Vedanta, in Upanishads, Gita, it means the gross and the subtle. That which is formed and which is visible. You can see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it, an object to the senses. And that which is invisible. Our uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions, the subtle bodies. All of that. Formed, with form and without form. Um, Sat Asat, I am all of that also. Then he goes on. Now there might be a question here. This is all a little strange to Arjuna because the kind of religion he is used to, the traditional religion of those days, is the Vedic religion, where uh, there were elaborate fire sacrifices. And Vedic priests, Brahmanas, uh, holding lifelong vows uh, and elaborate ceremonies, the purpose of which would be, whatever you want in this life, you will get it by these fire sacrifices. So, you want to, uh, you want to be rich, you want diseases to be cured, you want uh, to defeat your enemies, um, you want rainfall, uh, so all of that, and you want to go to heaven after death, all of that. Um, if it's warm, you can put on the fan. Yeah. All of that, that was religion. And you perform these Vedic sacrifices. And all of them, where do you get them? The source for all of them are the Karmakanda, the bulk of the initial portion of the Vedas. The later portion is the Upanishads, upon which, which the Gita is based, that's Vedanta. But before that, the common uh, religion of the Vedic people was these sacrifices. Now, um, why should they worship you? Why not follow that religion? Uh, Krishna will say now, what's the problem with that religion? The, the problem with that kind of religion is that it doesn't solve anything. If you be religious in that sense, your life will be a little better than what it was. But still, 
impermanence is there. Everything comes to an end. And with impermanence comes sorrow. The Buddha saw it directly. Sarvam anityam. Impermanent. Uh, trans- uh, transitory. Momentary. Empty. And therefore sorrow. Anityam. Kshanikam. Mm, shunyam. Atta dukkham. Sarvam dukkham. Even if you go to heaven, you will still come back. That will also come to an end. And when it comes to an end, you are left with nothing. It's even worse because you have seen, seen heaven. <laughs> they say, alas. They say, how do the gods descend back to earth? That human life. They, they cry, cry, alas, alas. <laughs> and they have no warning that the credit is running out. <laughs> Suddenly it's over and you're tossed out of heaven. Back to earth. We have warning. What warning that your time is running out? Hair grey, <laughs> tooth dropping out, <laughs> aches and pains, glasses. These are all warning. Time is running out. So they don't get that warning in heaven. Everything is fine, fine, fine and suddenly not fine at all. <laughs> so uh, there he says, if you do not worship God, that is God is Saguna Brahman, Ishwar, Bhagavan. If you persist in the religion of, of the masses, just to p- pursue your, your desires, then what is the problem? The commentator says, Parameshwaram Shri Vasudevam Ye Na Bhajanti. Vasudevam Krishna. Why should I worship one little blue boy? <laughs> Parameshwaram is, is God, is Ishwara, is Saguna Brahman. If you don't worship, Tesham Janma Mrityu Pravaha Durvara. You cannot prevent this disaster called this cycle of birth and death. It will go on. We will flow in this river of life, getting kicks and blows, lifetime after lifetime, until we learn our lesson. But I am religious. Yes, you will get, as in the words of Jesus Christ, they have their reward. They have their reward. That reward you will get. Nothing more than that is uh, available. Twentieth verse. Please repeat after me. Trayvidyamam somapaputa papa. Trayvidyamam somapaputa papa. Yagyairishtva swargatim prathayante. Yagyairishtva swargatim prathayante. Te punyam asadya surendra lokam. Te punyam asadya surendra lokam. Ashnanti divyan divideva bhogan. Ashnanti divyan divideva bhogan. The knowers of the Vedas, that means the rituals of the Vedas. Purified from sins by drinking the soma juice and worshipping me with sacrifices. Pray for access to heaven. They have, they having attained the meritorious sphere of Indra, heaven, atti- having attained heaven, experience in heaven celestial enjoyments of the gods. So they have a lot of fun. They, they, they go to heaven and drink nectar. Here at least we have Coke and Pepsi, a choice. There they have no choice, there's only <laughs> nectar. <laughs> I don't know if it comes in different flavors, but... They seem to have a lot of fun drinking nectar and being happy in heaven. 
So they go to heaven. If you do a lot of ritualism you, uh, and ritualistic practices, you, you get enough credit to go to heaven. And depends on how much you do. Upanishads talk about multiple heavens, some better than the others. And you need more credit, more good karma to go to those heavens. And that's what this verse talks about. Trai dharmam. Trai means the, you know, the Rigveda, the Rik, Sama and Yajur. So the Trai, here particularly it means the karma kanda, the ritualistic portion of those Vedas. Those who are experts in that knowledge and they, those who perform these uh, yajnas, uh, they go to these heavens and which is strictly temporary. We might think, ah, that's not me or that's not us. Those days are past. Not at all. And those days are never past. The religion of the masses is that religion. What is the religion of the masses? It's, you talked about the law of karma. My point is that, can I do something, some ritual, some prayer, some kind of observance, which will convince you, oh God, to use your powers to rearrange the universe in my favor. You are going to get the results of your karma. That's the problem. I don't like my karma. I want something better. And I understand. It's not going to come to me in the, in the normal course of events. And I'm religious. I have faith in God. I have faith in religion. Therefore, I pray. I do this ritual. I do this or that. In the hope of getting that. And that's, that's the religion of the masses. You go to the temples. The huge lines there. What are they there for? Enlightenment. I, I am Brahman realization. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> In fact, better not, that better not happen. One monk told us about this gentleman he met. Um, a very devout, very nice person. And seeing his devotion, uh, he, uh, this monk told the gentleman, Oh, you're so, you're, you've got so much devotion to God. I'm sure you will realize God in this very life itself. And the gentleman was very simple. You know, he said, Swami, you're a monk. Don't say such things because what you say it might come true. You know, I have a daughter who will look after her. You know, some kind of idea he had. If I becomes enlightened or gets God realization, maybe he'll die. And then who will look after my daughter? So these thousands and millions of people going to these um, temples for ritualistic practices and puja or something. What are they going for? For that, temples, churches, mosques, religious observances across the world. I went to a Chinese Buddhist temple. And large numbers of people, devout people, making prostrations, lighting these things, uh, the joss, the incense and prayers. All the prayers are for this form of the Buddha or that form of the Buddha to reign his um, blessings on me, my business, my family, my patients, my children, so on and so forth. Nothing wrong with it, but it's still worldly. And those things have an end. They may work. Krishna, at no point is he saying that they don't work, they are frauds. No. They do work. But this does not solve anything at all. Even if after death one goes to heaven, one of those higher heavens, that also comes to an end. Krishna will say. Now let's read that. 21. What happens when you go to heaven and you have drunk your fill of uh, nectar? 21. Tetam bhuktva svargalokam vishalam 
ते तम भुक्वा स्वर्गलोक विशाल क्षीणे पुण्ये मत्यलोक विशंती क्षीणे पुण्ये मत्यलोक विशंतीधर्मुप्रपन्नापन्ना गता गम कामते Having enjoyed the extensive heavenly sphere, when their virtue is exhausted, they enter the mortal world. Thus, those who take refuge in the religion of the Vedas, desirous of enjoyments, go and come. Gatha gatham kam. They they are whirled around in this circle circle of life and death. Look. religion of the vedas isn't this the religion of the vedas no they make a clear difference between the lower religion and the higher spirituality they make a clear difference between the karma kanda the section dealing with rituals which is meant for is all all of that they have only one thing that they are you know oh god arrange things to my advantage make sure that you know it things go my way even if i don't deserve it let things go my way that's that's why i'm doing all this if god says no it's not in your karma yeah i know but i did this puja you know that's why i did it if it was in my karma why would i do puja to you i mean i'll get it anyway <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> all of that is this kind of religion and that is the lower kind the vedas also contain the upanishads which talks about vedanta enlightenment god realization moksha freedom from this entire cycle and that's gita is based on that so gita krishna is not referring to that he is referring to the karma kanda this idea of going to heaven vivekananda shocked so many people good christians here the whole idea of going to heaven vivekananda said i have come to teach you how not to go to heaven <laughs> i have come to teach you how to stop going to heaven now you see in what sense he said it <laughs> but that would have been very shocking for <laughs> me um we had one swami swami nishreshan ji who started the vedanta work in south africa many many years ago uh, he came to the west also did, did you see him he came here right so he had this remark i never saw him long before my time but he has this remarkable way of teaching vedanta so this one he would explain by the story of how he says well when i want to go from durban to uh, bombay mumbai in those days bombay Uh, I how do I do that? I purchase a ticket in Air India, and then I uh, get into the plane. So you have to have money enough to purchase the ticket. So I've got money and I purchase the ticket. As I get into the plane, these air hostesses are there. They say, "Come, come, this is your seat." <coughs> Now this is actually in the Vedas. There are references. There are the ones after after death, post mortem. Uh-huh. We go and people in near death experiences report these things actually. there are these beings of light who say come this way like air hostesses you know <laughs> <laughs> so she, uh, he says there this air hostess she says come come this is your seat this is what you have purchased and you have earned so those beings say this is um, your, what your karma has earned you they say that this is this is where you go and then i sit in that seat and then we go up 30000 feet in the air the pilot announces we are going at 800 kilometers per hour and 30000 feet in the air and they were they show us a movie and then in those days they didn't have screen they had one big screen to show a movie i think and then the air hostesses come with drinks you know nectar 
and and then uh, so you are having a really good time, and then you feel it descending, and then it touches down, and the pilot says, "Thank you for flying Air India. We are, we are in Mumbai. Welcome to Mumbai. It is a hundred degrees in the shade outside, <laughs> and a hundred percent humidity. And thank you for flying in Air India. We hope you will travel with us again. Which means you can't. Can't I stay here? I don't want to go down. No, you have to leave." <laughs> If you want, you can come back again. You have to purchase the ticket again. So this is how he called. This is he said the karma kanda, the um, traidharma. It is you earn enough merit and you get the results of that. But the problem is it again and again comes to an end. Whether this world or the next world, they all come to an end. The way out is spirituality. The next verse is very beautiful. Let me just do that. Or should I stop? Because we have only a few minutes left. The next verse, uh, it tells you. Um, let me just start. I want to start that. And then we'll pick it up next time. 22nd verse. Ananyas chintayantomam Ananyas chintayantomam Ye jana paryupasate Ye jana pariyupasate Tesham nityabhiyuktanam Tesham nityabhiyuktanam Yoga kshemam vahamyaham Yoga kshemam vahamyaham So here he says, in contrast to this, is this spirituality I'm teaching you, those who have one-pointed devotion. The translation is, those persons who think of nothing else and worship me through meditation, the accession to and maintenance of the welfare of such devo ever-devout persons, I look after. Okay. So in one-pointed devotion to God and to nothing else, and their attention is always on me, on God, they will not go through this cycle. They'll be freed of it. Now the question might arise, wait a minute. At least these people who are doing this, uh, the regular kind of religion, they hold jobs, look after their families, and they're taking the blessings of God so that their families go well, and after death they'll go to heaven, and all of that. If I don't do all that, who's going to take care of my life here and, and afterwards? Okay, afterwards you're saying there's some moksha, something like that, fine. But right now, family, job, money, health, if I'm just you know, thinking about you and repeating uh, mantra, who's going to do all that? And Krishna says, for such people who have one-pointed devotion to me, yoga kshemam vahamyaham, I will do it for you. Don't worry. Yoga kshemam vahamyaham, this is the, you know, this is the motto for what? LIC, yes. The Life Insurance Corporation of India. <laughs> yes. So they have taken it from the Gita, from this chapter. And they have made it, the, it's, it's a huge, huge organization. That's, that's basically what insurance was in India. Now it's, a lot of new things are coming like this country. But for many, many years that was like, the, like insurance in India. And their motto for this huge organization was this line. Yoga Kshemam Vahamyaham. Literally it means, I carry to such persons, such devotees. Yoga here means, things aprapta, that which has not been attained. I give you that, I give them that which they have not yet attained. Shema means, praptasya rakshanam, what they have, I protect that. Basically, this is what life is. 
what what are you seeing people in this vast city doing trying to get something which they don't have and protect which they have and krishna says i will do that for you if you are one pointed devotion to god if you hold on to god i will do that for you that's what life insurance corporation wants to do for you <laughs> i will do that for you vahamyaham this is a very beautiful story about this vahamyaham literally means i carry for such devotees literally i carry for such devotees whatever they need and what they have i protect now the beautiful story is there was this great pandit and a devout a devotee of krishna who was writing a commentary on the uh, gita on the mahabharat actually and uh, he was writing this and he came to this verse yoga kshema vahamyaham and he thought that i carry no this is against the glory of god why will god carry a, a, a carry for us a carry is somebody like a somebody who carries on the head so he changed it he cut it out the word of the gita he cut it out and he said dadamyaham i grant so that fits the glory of god now it was time for him to go and take his bath and his wife said look get something there's nothing you just spend your time writing books there's nothing in the in the house uh, we uh, we have no food and he said i'll see what i can do and he left very soon um, the most beautiful little boy came carrying a basket of the most delicious food on his head and he landed up at the doorstep of this lady and she said who are you my boy and he said that your husband has sent me uh, with all the food this food and she saw all delicious stuff which they never had such such they are poor people and but she saw to her horror the boy had a scar on his back as if someone had caned him a red welt on his back she was shocked who did this to you and the boy said why your husband did it to me and she was shocked horrified why would he do such a thing to you wait let him come back <laughs> and the boy went away and she never saw him again and then the husband came home and um, he uh, he said what's all this all this food well you sent it right no i didn't well, the boy bought it and and by the way why did you hit that boy well, that poor boy what came over you the husband was bewildered what do you mean what boy i never met him and uh, and of, of course i wouldn't uh, beat a child and then he realized to his um to his uh, amazement he looked at the that you know the manuscript and on that 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 red line he had cut across the words of krishna vahamyaham and he had corrected it that's the line which was on the back of the of the child so the child it was krishna who actually demonstrated that i carried this for you and i i, I gave it to you beautiful story there's a story of a great devotee of kali of durga who is to write these beautiful songs in bengal of of about kali or durga and he he was supposed to be a night guard in a particular place and the officer commanding got reports that he is uh, being absent you know he gets immersed in writing those uh, songs and he forgets that it's time for him to go on duty so he went out to check the officer went out to check and he saw the guard was patrolling at, in the dead of the night and he came back and he called that man and said i'm sorry that we suspected you but that man was honest he said but i wasn't there i'm sorry it's true that i wasn't um, patrolling the uh, the fence at that time i was at forgotten i was writing these songs who was patrolling on his behalf yeah. so it's the mother so these are stories 
wahan mein hum i carry for you what you need there's more to be discussed about this um so does it mean if i am very devoted to krishna very devoted to god then all my christmas list what i need <laughs> that will come and all my investments will be protected against ups and downs of wall street no that's not what it means we'll see next time om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna rupanamastu does anybody have last minute comments questions we also very glad to have shubhani chaitanya ji today in our midst yes tell us your name and ask the question Krishna actually existed on as a physical person I would be inclined to believe that something like that there was uh, it was there there is no smoke without fire yeah. uh, and uh, uh, it's true that uh, we do not have an exact history of Rama or Krishna but the textual evidence the archaeological evidence the cultural evidence of all of this points to something or somebody who was there so Krishna I believe I personally believe that there was krishna uh, somebody like this who existed layers of myths and story making and uh, and they have come and these myths you know when we say myth myth is not exactly a correct word for it myth literally means something that's that's not true in a historical sense but i think it was the scholar reza aslan i think he said he said myths are always true because the point is they're trying to point out some kind of moral or spiritual truth and that's true it's it's a story which uh, um uh, which gives you that teaching now which is it is krishna a myth in that sense a moral or spiritual teaching or actual historical fact in the way we would understand history today i'm uh, inclined to say that it's the latter one but the thing is it's whatever it is is so distant from us in the past that many layers of what we would consider myths have come between the historical krishna and the way we understand krishna today and i'm here i'm quoting vivekananda the need for a new avatar this is rama and krishna he says they are both true but today the way we receive rama and krishna is through so many layers that it's very difficult to recover what they were originally i mean it's lost in the ancient past yeah yes Hmm. I was wondering, like, what does a Buddhist do? Uh, because I guess my understanding was that there is no god in Mexico. Yes, but they have uh, powerful deities which are very godlike. <laughs> so these deities are, especially in Mahayana Buddhism, especially in Tibetan Buddhism, and they are always invoked for grace, for benefits, and all. If you go to a Mahayana temple, especially or Tibetan Buddhist temple, they are full of rituals and prayers, and and especially many of the Uh, devotees who come there and pray they are always praying for favors so it it might work in different ways one way is the buddhas the bodhisattvas they are always accumulating enormous amounts of merit on our behalf now if you want to use the merit a little bit of it 
you want to divert it towards you know playing the stock market or uh, you might so there is another way it works that uh, grace what we might call grace of god there it might just be they are very logical so if you want to upset the law of karma or divert it you need that kind of good karma you don't have it well there are the bodhisattvas who are earning that enormous merit on your behalf so there are ways of getting around it but you know spirituality always means transcending the law of karma look at karma yoga what's the difference between karma and karma yoga karma yoga is you give you do and you ask for nothing in return aren't you violating the law of karma so will it not come in return it will come but you don't want it anymore you're not doing it for getting something you're not doing it for enlightenment purification of mind whatever for for god realization bhakti yoga is it's called ahetuki bhakti uh, love without any conditions but that's by violation of causality the crudest kind of love is i want to be loved and i am very miserly about giving love to anybody else the more normal kind of human love is we love each other but we do expect some consideration in return for my love more the most unselfish types of human love are there where don't expect really much you just love beyond that is spiritual love and it's not uncommon you can see it in great spiritual masters and teachers i've seen it again and again they without any cause or condition even if you harm them if you um if you are we are recalcitrant we are not worthy still they go on loving because they see the divinity in us and they see that all the trouble which we are causing is just temporary now that love is unconditional again it's not causality it is going beyond causality in dhyana yoga meditation up to dhyana meditation there's causality because effort is involved in restraining and focusing but there comes up time an advanced level in meditation dhyana onwards dhyana samadhi so dharana dhyana samadhi um, that dhyana to samadhi there our effort in fact effort is counterproductive you must cease effort at that point so again you're going beyond uh, action action stops you don't try if you try it won't work and um, gyana the path of gyana is is par excellence beyond causality the atman brahman pure consciousness is beyond cause and effect it's not an effect not produced by anything and it's not a cause also that's what uh, krishna says when he says i am the father of this universe the mother well the father and mother are the cause but then he says i am the grandfather also <laughs> and that i am not caused by anything else i am the causeless cause and beyond that i'm not even a cause because there is only one reality in this ninth chapter itself krishna said all these things it's not that i am god separate from these things i pervade all these things step 1 step 2 they are i don't pervade them that they are there and i'm i'm in them no they are all in me just as this um uh, podium this table is in this table is in wood this is strange we are speaking table is in wood waves are in water jewels ornaments are in gold because gold is the aadhara the reality in the third step krishna says behold they are not in me the wood here might say that 
What did you say? Is there a table in me? No, there isn't. Where is the table in me? Here. You touch the table. Here. No, touch wood. You're touching wood. Here, here, wherever you touch, it's wood. Where is the table? Touch it. You can't. Is there no table at all then? That also you can't see. You can see it. You're using a term, table. You can see it and you can use it. You can put things on it. You can't say that the table exists by itself apart from the wood. You can't say that the table does not exist at all. This neither, you cannot determine, determine it as neither existing on its own nor absolutely non-existent. This in Sanskrit is called Sad Asad Bhyam Anirvachaniyam. Inexpressible either as absolutely true or as absolutely not true. As absolutely existent or as absolutely non-existent, you can't say. Another term for this is Maya. And that's exactly the status of everything in this universe. That's the Advaita Vedanta position. All right. Thank you. Last question. Yes. You mentioned that we can't really break the moral law that governs us without breaking ourselves first. Mm. Now, my first question is, is this moral law universal? Yes. Uh, one example that I can think of is um, there are a lot of money managers and hedge managers in New York that do highly questionable and unethical and borderline illegal things. Uh, they break my moral law, but certainly not their own. So, one, is moral law universal? And two, why shouldn't I push the boundaries? Yeah, um, they may not. You might not think that they break the their own moral law, but they might. You know, they, their own conscience tells them it's wrong. But as long as I can get away with it, the IRS don't catch me, and the stock, what securities exchange doesn't catch me, I'm fine. Well, that's why they're wrong. They're not fine. They're breaking themselves against the moral law, and we think they get away with it. The whole point of the law of karma is they don't. Nobody gets away with anything. Yeah. We are making an assumption. But then you have to look, because we see only a little bit, right? We see only a slice of life. This guy made millions. Somebody wrote. What was his name? Bernie Madoff? With a name like Madoff, why did you trust him? <laughs> yeah. In most cases, it doesn't turn out well for such people. Either the law gets them, or in their own, it's, it's corrosive internally. Mm. Or they have deeply unhappy personal or family lives, or even nothing, you can't, you can't find out what's wrong with it. Wait, this life, next life, who knows? Because <laughs> law of karma op operates across lifetimes. Yeah. So we, why we say it's, it's basically causality extended to the moral sphere. That's why there is a component of faith there. Why would otherwise it would be an evident uh, physical law, but it's not evident that way because the the missing link in between that it's bad karma, punya or papa that you don't see. See, every karma has three effects. Karma means action. Every consciously, deliberately done karma has three effects. One is the actual physical effect, good or bad. You share food with a, um, a hungry person or a homeless person. That's actually feeding somebody. Somebody who was hungry got fed. That's the actual thing which everybody can see. Nobody doubts that. Second is a psychological effect. That has an effect on your mind. Keep repeating that kind of uh, karma 
and you generally slowly become a better and a better person. That also one can clearly observe. The way we act and behave changes our character. That also, nobody doubts that. We don't need religion for that. The third one is what's called a cosmic effect. That's what is meant by the law of karma. That it generates something good, good karma on your behalf, that feeding the hungry person, which will result in something good in the future, this lifetime, usually in the next lifetime. So good, good. That one uh, requires faith to believe. But the first two are, no, nobody doubts it. In the gross effect, the subtle effect. But the cosmic effect, that uh, one requires some faith. What's the alternative? The alternative could be, no, there's no such rule. It's, it's um, a rule. It's just arbitrary. Maybe, but that's leaving. It's, that would be strange when we say that there is causality that rules everything in the universe except human life or society. It's a little strange. Second, you could say that it's because of God. But then God would be partial. In fact, the law of karma is a good protection for God. <laughs> you can't blame God. The blame is on us. Uh -huh. So, uh, there is a whole issue in religion called the problem of evil. Why is there suffering if God exists? So, one answer is from the law of karma. I mentioned his name earlier, Arthur Herman. He's written this book, The Problem of Evil in Indian Thought. So, all the theories, the answers, why is there suffering because of, um, if God exists, why is there so much suffering? And he gives, not one answer or two answers, he gives 24 answers which is collected from different Indian philosophies, from non-Indian you know, religions, from literature, from philosophy across the world. And he has a list of 24 answers. And he comes to the conclusion the best answer is the law of karma. And he has a whole chapter on defects in the law of karma, philosophy, logically. He says even after these defects, it is way beyond all other explanations as far as logic, philosophical uh, um, you know, rigor is uh, concerned. If at all you want an answer, this is a pretty good answer. But notice, religion is not about law of karma. In fact, this, this um, religion which was, which was being criticized by Krishna, do these rituals and go to heaven and have uh, a blast and then again come back here, that is based on the law of karma. What he is suggesting is you go beyond the law of karma. Take refuge in God and transcend. There is only one thing which is beyond the law of karma, that is God. Take refuge in God and transcend the law of karma. Advaita Vedanta says, you yourself are beyond the law of karma. Vivekananda said, good, good, bad, bad, and none escape the law. But whosoever wears the form, wears the chain too. Then what does Vedanta say? Far beyond name and form is Atman ever free. No, thou art that, sannyasi bold, say Om Tat Sat Om. So that's the message of Vedanta.